I'll hang you from the nipples, but you'll shock the children. Shh, it's the film flamers. Hi guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers, shooting the flames once again, just for you during this holiday season. That's right, it's our December Shooting the Flames episode, and this is the monthly episode where Chris and I get together and talk about horror news, trailers, some movies that we've watched recently, and most importantly, comments and questions from you, our listeners. And, oh my god, we got a lot of comments. We did, actually. I was thinking before we were starting to make the notes for this episode, I was like, I don't think we got a whole lot of comments, you know, for this particular month, but we got a lot more than I thought we did. So I was pretty happy. Yeah, we we really did. I was just looking at our, our document that we paste all these things into and it's just uh, it's like multi pages. So bear with us, but we're going to answer. Uh, we're going to answer some questions and respond to some comments. So uh, let's just uh, dive right in. Right, so our first set of comments comes from our Hot Take episode in October, where we covered It, Chapter 2. At Jay Carbon on Twitter said, Loved the review, I absolutely adored It, Chapter 2, and my boyfriend and I died laughing about the Winnie the Pooh, hello, and I will never (laughs) be able to unhear that. (laughs) Neither will we. No, I know, it was so fucking hilarious, so... I loved your reaction to that in that episode, I ever... (laughs) I was laughing my ass off when I was editing it. <laughs> She's right. I will never be able to unhear that. So every time I see Pennywise now, I'm just going to think of Winnie the Pooh. So I think, <laughs> hello, whatever fucking, you know, terrifying response they wanted has completely been thrown out the window. So they might as well put him on Disney Plus. What's funny is like weirdly, like right now in South Park, Winnie the Pooh is like the slasher guy. Like in this episode, <laughs> the Halloween episode, they gave him a knife and he was like trying to like enact revenge. It was hilarious. Anyway, whatever. I digress. Hello. <laughs> At Itza Mario says, uh, nice episode, guys. I really enjoyed it. Chapter two. I thought it had some very effective scares like the Hall of Mirrors. But with the amount of scares, it began to feel a bit bloated. Jay Ryan used to be in the in an Australian soap, so I was happy to see him doing well. Also, I was shocked that some people didn't notice the gay subtext at all. I thought it was so blatant, but I must be wrong because not everyone felt it. What do they think Richie's dir- dirty little secret was? Yeah, and I'm one of those people that just didn't see it. I guess my eyes were glazed over, or I was still thinking about Winnie the Pooh or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I just didn't I didn't see it. I'm bad with names, and so that tree thing like that you told me about that it was like carved on a tree or something. I just, I didn't It was on the bridge. And I just, I didn't, I didn't recognize it. And I guess I just kind of glazed over that scene. Cause I remember thinking, Oh, did he kill someone or something? <laughs> I guess I don't think of being gay as a dirty little secret, even in pop culture anymore, which is a great thing, you know? Well, I mean, we have to remember too, that Richie wasn't in show business at that point. And you know, it's I mean, maybe different for people in a public sphere of life or whatever. But I mean, I was the opposite of Chris and I, I really thought that it was incredibly blatant, you know, I, in from many different parts in the movie, not just like the name carving scene, but like his cathartic cry in the water or whatever at the end. And I just, yeah. it was, it really hit home for me in, in, a, in a gay subtext sort of way. But I know people who have watched the movie aside from, from you and I, and they didn't see that or think it either. So I think it really just depends on your particular take of the film. Our next comment is from our top 10 Stephen King adaptions episode. And again, this is from It's a Mario. <laughs> I hope he continues to comment just so you do that (laughs) because I knew you would. Yeah. And he said, so hard to pick. I loved Stand By Me and the Shawshank Redemption. And then later when I read the novellas, I was surprised by how well the films retained the heart of their respective stories. I have a soft spot for the stand and Cujo. And I thought Gerald's game was masterfully adapted. Couldn't agree more. Completely. I, um, I put this one in. Because he left this comment after we recorded our last Shooting the Flames episode, where we did some other comments from that particular episode of Stephen King adaptations. And also because uh, someone that we follow on Twitter, follows us on Twitter as well, recently watched Jill's Game and they put that they didn't like it. Like, they didn't like it at all. And I'm like, well, you know, to each their own. But maybe it's because I like the book quite a bit. And maybe because I have a, a soft spot for Mike Flanagan, too. That could be part of it. But yeah, it's it's my least favorite of what he has done. But it's still really good. So I'm comparing it to him. Yeah. I liked it, though. So I think that's a good pick. Eat Samario. I can't say it like you do. 
So our next set of comments comes uh, from our top 10 episode where we covered our favorite vampire movies. And the first one comes from Glenn, who's the host of the Tales from the Cribbed podcast at From the Cribbed on Twitter. He said, listen to this on the way into work yesterday, and I'm embarrassed to say I haven't seen Interview the Vampire. He may be crazy, but I do enjoy some Tom Cruise. What? You, you, you haven't seen Interview with the Vampire? Yeah, I think stop everything and watch it right now. That's pretty much what I said too. I was like, well, it's never too late. I'm like, go watch it. I was like, it's literally on Hulu. So yeah, and I get that uh, some people, especially like younger viewers, might not have seen it. Um, but I definitely think that even newer audiences would enjoy the shit out of it, especially because it's just so different, and you get to see like a uh, a really stacked cast in mm-hmm. a movie like this, which is extremely rare i will also add in never be embarrassed for not having seen a movie there are lots of things that i haven't seen and like i it's just there's there's always time to watch it so take your time and when you finally do watch interview the vampire please shoot us a message and let us know what you thought of it yeah but you know there is two things i judge people by if you don't like dolly parton or interview the vampire i just don't understand you Oh, Jolene. At Everybody Dead Pod said, I just watched all the Underworld movies again and both Interview with the Vampire and my all-time fave, Queen of the Damned. So I'm very happy with this episode. Also, let us have our trashy vampire faves. Cough, Queen of the Damned. Cough. <laughs> yeah, so this is the Everybody's Dead podcast. And, um, you know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, right? Yeah. I um, Even if they're wrong. <laughs> I haven't. I've only seen Queen of the Damned one time, so I, and it was a long time ago when it first came out. I really cannot speak to that movie. But if you say it's your favorite, I will give it a second shot. I was uh, looking at videos in preparation for Interview the Vampire and then later, and actually yesterday, um, side note, I found a rejected score for Interview the Vampire. Oh? And yeah, I don't know how true that is, but I'd never heard of that before. And it was just really interesting. And it's kind of similar to Elliot Goldenthal's, it's just a lot more understated. And I was I was looking at stuff for Queen of the Dam that was showing up, and there was just like a bunch of like um, um, violin sessions of people trying to like do the Lestat violin track and stuff. And I just I knew it had a following, especially with the soundtrack besides the musical score and stuff, you know. But I think it's uh, especially popular with people that haven't read the book and stuff. So I might revisit it, but I just I cannot not see it through that lens of having read the book and having enjoyed Interview the Vampire so much. So that's probably just part of that reticence I have against it. But um, yeah, no no shame, no public shaming for people that that really dig something, you know? Yeah, well, and, and no public, this is what I- Unless t- it's white nationalism. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's obviously things that are terrible that we, you can point things at it for people. But I, when she commented this, I responded back to her on Twitter and I was just like, I like tons of movies that people find abhorrent. So, I mean, like, there's no need to to even call something you like trashy. It's okay. Own it, you know? Be proud. Yeah. Yeah. And we all like trashy stuff every once in a while. Amen. So, So Darren, from the Psychosemantic podcast at Political Movies on Twitter, said, I quite like Let Me In and Let the Right One In, and we'll watch either. Both are pretty. Sometimes I'm I'm not up for subtitles. Uh, Same. I like to. I would like to recommend if you haven't read it, "Snow Glass Apples," a short story by Neil Gaiman, which I assume would be a vampire short story, since he's commented on the vampire episode. I haven't read a lot of Neil Gaiman, so I don't know. However, I will say that Tori Amos references that short story in one of her songs. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that made me happy. Have you heard of this short story? No. Have you read a lot of Neil Gaiman either? No. I'm supposed to. Matt, my uh, boyfriend, has given me some Neil Gaiman to read. I- I've read the Sandman uh, series, but that's graphic novel, right? That's not necessarily a-, a-, a novel. So I haven't actually read a novel by Neil Gaiman. Mm, I started reading American Gods like three or four years ago and never finished it. Yeah, my sister said, like, I think that he was really dry and she couldn't finish something from him. So we also received a voicemail on our hotline. Finally, after how many months of a uh, voicemail dearth? Got at least three or four. Yeah. So we need to say a special thank you to at squirrelfriend23 from Instagram. Oh, you found out who it was? Yes. 
Yes, I did. Because she she commented back on Instagram and said, hey, I left a message on your voicemail. And I responded. I was like, well, thank you so much for saying so, because you didn't say your name. And I we, we, we yeah. don't know how to respond to you. So thank you at SquirrelFriend23. And let's listen to your voicemail. Oh, um, I hope this makes it to you guys okay. I'm outside on my bird can work. I was listening to the episode about the favorite vampire movie. And I had to call and leave a message about how excited I was that somebody else liked Near Dark. Such a good movie. My favorite vampire is Diamond Bag. She was awesome. <laughs> she was so awesome. Anyway, thank you guys for what you do. Take care. Bye. Again, thank you so much at Squirrelfriend23. Of course, I could not have a vampire list and not put Near Dark on it. It's it's a fantastic movie, in my opinion. I watch it at least once every couple years. And you're right, Diamondback is a great character. I love that actress, especially from Aliens. You know, I think that she's yeah. she's just great. So Yeah, and please don't judge me for kind of poo-pooing it in that uh, top 10. I, you know, just I didn't connect with it. I need to rewatch it. Well, and just going back to that previous comment, too, you know, I mean, like everyone has a favorite movie and, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it doesn't align up to somebody else's. But the important thing is, is that you like it and you can defend it and continue to like no matter what. And we got one question from Jay Carbon and she said, loved the most recent Shooting the Flames as always. Do you guys think you'll ever do Japanese Asian horror remix list, a.k.a. The Grudge, The Ring, etc.? You know, is there enough for a top 10? Like... Oh, yeah. Like enough. Okay. But usually when I have a top 10, like I'm picking out of like 50, 100, 200, 500, you know, things to choose from. And if there's like 15 or 20, like I don't know that I can make like a really quality top 10. I think that, well, I mean, if we're going to do a top 10 of like Asian or J-horror or something like that, it would need to not have to do with remakes, really. I think we could do a countdown of our favorite Asian movies, but I have to confess, Jay, that I, this is one like subgenre of horror that I'm really lacking in. Like I need to see a, a more Asian horror movies. I, the ones that I have seen are superb. I love them. And I've seen all the real famous ones like the grudge and the ring and train to be and things like that. Um, but there's a lot of smaller ones that I've missed along the way. What's the one that starts with a P that you saw recently, like within the last year or so parasite. Oh, Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, it's the guy who directed The Host. Korea. Yeah. I haven't seen it. It's playing at the Draft House now. Okay. Well, I, you know, I would love to do like a whole month basically dedicated to it. And we could do like a double feature of The Grudge in the Ring and maybe do a Patreon on something like Parasite, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. Um, you know, I, I don't know that a top 10 would really do it justice because I'd really like to deep dive into some of these. And yeah, and I, like I said, I, I need to make my knowledge better. I need to learn more about these particular movies. Um, I know that Tale of Two Sisters has been on my list to watch for 10 years Me plus, too. you know, and my friend, our friend, our mutual friend, Diane saw it years ago and she said it was really, really good and that we should watch it. Well, and the guys over at Movie Geek and Proud have been telling me to watch it for over a year, and I've been promising to do yeah. so, and I just haven't, you know? So this, this is something that I, I need to work on. Um, when I watch foreign horror movies, I tend to go for languages that I know a little bit, so they're mostly, like, either in Spanish or French, and um, I just need to broaden my horizons just a tad. Yeah. So reach back out to us on social media, Jay, like you do all the time, and tell us what some of your favorites are so we can start building a list of things to watch. I completely trust your judgment. Do you think we should stick to like just Korean or just Japanese or just Chinese? Um, I don't know. I think that each each country has its own individual movies that are good. I mean, like if I was going to pick an Asian horror movie to talk about in depth, I would choose Juon just because it's my favorite. But um, and it's it's horrifying to me. So yeah. But I mean, how many times can you watch The Grudge? You know, thousands apparently. Spyglass is resurrecting Ghostface in a new Scream movie. Uh, This is brought to us by an article from Bloody Disgusting. And I don't know how I feel about that, but, you know, if they're going to start a new franchise, then, you know, more power to them. Uh, I always liked Ghostface as a a kind of an antagonist in the slashers, especially if they do it, you know, uniquely, originally their own way. 
uh, rather than like a, a straight up reboot. So you know what? Let's have it. Yeah, I mean, so the article was talking about they didn't know whether or not they were going to go like from the series, right? Have you ever watched the TV series for Scream? No. Yeah, I haven't either. I've heard negative things mostly. Um, and I think if they're, they they can't really go in any any more of like Sydney's story, I think that's done. That's yeah. over and done with. You know, they cannot continue anymore. So it would have to be some sort of a reboot. Um, if if you do it well and maybe hope for a lightning strikes twice kind of thing and just create a brand new kind of scream. But to me, Scream is a very singular horror movie. It was a singular experience, and it's really too hard to sort of capture that thing again. Yeah, you know, especially like meta is in real meta is getting more popular, especially with like the advent of like Deadpool and stuff. Yeah. I'm wondering if, um, you know, I'd rather instead of staying in the same universe, if a reboot would actually be okay, you know, just, you know, update the story, the same story just to, you know, 2020 you know, and see what that looks like could be really interesting with the advent of, you know, smartphones and everything else. And they did a little bit of that, I'm sure in the TV show. And of course, with the last scream movie. Yeah. I was gonna say Yeah. I feel like it's not fully explored. And I think that would be, uh, was be interesting to see, to see what they do with it. But you know, it, it could obviously also easily fail. So, well, I mean, you know. so they, I mean, if, if you own a, a franchise like that and you want to continue it, go, it'll make some money regardless. The article also talks about how the same company is rebooting Hellraiser, right? Which they also own the rights to. Well, so. yeah. And I, I really hope that they do a good job with both of these, you know, with franchises, you either see those dollar signs in their eyes or you see hearts, you know, yeah. and I, I really want to see hearts in their eyes when they make these, you know, if they really care about the subject matter, then it's just going to be that much better. Yeah. Cause if you make something with hearts in the eyes, you know, you're going to get the dollars eventually anyway, cause there's already a fan base for these movies. So yeah. Eli Roth's History of Horror is returning to AMC for a second season. So I really enjoyed the shit out of the first season of History of Horror. I watched it on AMC. It's now streaming on Shudder. Um, Eli Roth loves the horror genre so, so much. And he is just so knowledgeable about all of it. And it was so awesome to watch him sit down and have interviews with these big names in horror, people like Stephen King and Rob Zombie and stuff like that. And it was just like, it was an amazing show. And I learned, I learned a lot and I made a whole list of movies that I had not seen before, or even heard of really to watch. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he's doing with the second one. Um, on a sidebar, if you haven't seen the show or if you just want to listen to things, there's a podcast of the uncut interviews that he did with some of these people. So like his, his interview with Stephen King is amazing. Did you watch that show? No, I haven't seen it. I really want to though. It's so good. I mean, for some reason I thought it was on shutter. It is on shutter now. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to see it right after I finish, um, everything else, all of it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's next in line after creep show. After I, after I finish creep show. Okay. The Haunting of Bly Manor will tell more than one Henry James tale, apparently. Yeah, so even more news about The Haunting of Bly Manor. I mean, we're both already very excited for it because we liked The Haunting of Hill House so much on Netflix. Um, But uh, Mike Flanagan has announced that they're doing more than just The Turn of the Screw. So he's adapting a couple other Henry James ghost stories and Henry James is like one of my favorite authors. So I'm, I'm super, super excited for this. So do you think they're going to be kind of amalgamating them all into one kind of cohesive story? Or do you think it's going to be more like, you know, a third of the season will be Bly Manor and like a third of the season will be this other tale. And um, he, he, I mean, he didn't say, right. So we can only speculate at this point. I kind of hope for the former in that question. Like I would rather them take, all these stories and sort of create one overarching like storyline or like, you know, take everything and put it into one universe sort of thing. Like I really enjoy that concept mm-hmm. as much as I like anthologies. The show itself is already an anthology when it's just taking the same actors and putting them into different characters and situations. Right. So I think if they just had one storyline to work through, it'd be a lot better acting wise. And I think that, I mean, that's one of the, th- 
things that made Haunting of Hill House so good, you know, yeah. right? So it was the, the characters and the acting and so on. I enjoyed that so much. I need to see it again. Yes, I really do. I want to watch the whole with Rue again. I think I want to watch it right before the second season comes out. But I mean, we've talked about news for this show on the last several Shooting the Flames episodes. And so I think at this point, I have to distance myself from the news. I'm not going to seek it out. I don't think I want to know any more about it. I'll wait for a trailer and then I'm going to watch the show. Because if I keep reading about it, I I can't though. If I keep reading about it, then I'm going to eventually spoil something. Or by the time it gets here, I'll be like, "Eh, okay. Okay. Well, I'll just, uh, I'll let you guys know what the news is and he can just cover his ears. Okay, fine. Ryan Murphy teases a star studded season 10 for American Horror Story. Is it the last? And that's what he says it may be. Right. So, I mean, at the end of American Horror Story Apocalypse, I think was the one before 1984. It had been picked up for two seasons and then it was this season, 1984, and they didn't get an announcement that it was picked up for anything more than what it's contracted for in that season 10. And I think, you know, Ryan Murphy has taken all of his Fox products and he sort of ended them and he's now making deals with Netflix. So I think this may be the last one coming up. He has said, and I think that we know from the past that, you know, he doesn't really lie about these sort of things. He's reached out to a lot of the original cast members for the first three seasons and a lot of them are coming back and it may be just like the final hurrah for American Horror Story, at least in the form that we know it now. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> I mean, it has to come to an end eventually. And if it means that we get Jessica Lang back, at least in some shape or form for one more season, I'll take it. You I know? just, so I don't know if it makes me feel old, but 10, literally 10 years of American Horror Story, I still feel like it's a new show. <laughs> well, I think that's the point, right? Because it reinvents itself every year, so it should feel like a new show. Yeah, I guess. I just feel like... It just came out or something. And I just think about it. I'm like, oh, my God. Of course, I didn't really get into it until at least its second season, I think. So. And yeah, I mean, and, and I watched them all. I just um, you say maybe it makes you feel old, but I, I say 10. I'm like 10 seasons. And I had to think back and I was like, well, there couldn't have been 10. I had to like remember some that were so unmemorable that I've already forgotten yeah, about them. Technically just nine. But I mean. We're going to get our 10th. So we'll see. I'm sure there'll be some more news about that coming up. They did hint that he dropped some sort of like spoiler or hint about what season 10 is going to be in the finale episode. So um, if you guys have any ideas about what that hint was, I guess let us know. We'd be interested to hear. Coming soon. So I guess first thing that I want to mention as far as trailers is actually not a typical trailer that we would talk about. And that is the trailer for Diablo 4. And for any of you gamers out there, um, Diablo 3 was kind of seen as a low spot in the franchise. A lot of the, the fans of the Diablo series since the beginning from the like the mid 90s uh just didn't didn't dig it it got a lot more like blizzardy blizzard is the the company that creates these games oh, along with, say, like, like overwatch and a bunch of others uh no but like world of warcraft so it made it a little bit more cartoony and like almost disneyfied you know like the blizzard polished look right and diablo is not supposed to be polished and and so this was kind of seen as you know a return to form and this trailer for Diablo 4, which we'll link in the show notes along with all the other uh, news items and trailers, is extremely good, like horror short. And I, I sent it to Robert. I uh, was hoping he'd watch it, even though it's a game trailer. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, do you remember it? Yeah, no, it was really cool, actually, because it was like a short movie. It was a 15 minute long trailer, essentially, right? Yeah, it's like a little short horror and film. there's a good beginning middle and end you got to know the characters in the trailer and i was just like this is super effective as a, as a piece of short fiction and i i really really enjoyed it a lot um i don't know anything about this series of games i only recently got into like top down rpgs or whatever and um 
playing things like Grim Dawn. I did play Diablo 3. I was never a big fan of them, like, back when I was playing, like, Doom and Wolfenstein and stuff back in the 90s, first-person shooters. But Diablo came out around then, and it was hugely popular, and, and you know, it, it, it really, like, launched this huge franchise. And so everyone was super uh, annoyed with Diablo 3, and then they, they did this big Diablo announcement, like, a year ago, and it was just for, like, a phone, and it really pissed everyone off after so many years. And then this trailer came out, and it seems like everyone's really, really excited about it, because it's, it's getting really dark and gritty and returned to, like, dark horror and stuff, and... Uh, it, it looks really cool. So definitely check that out. Even if you're not a gamer, the trailer is a, an excellent horror short. So check it out. Yeah. And I am not a gamer in, in the slightest. So, I mean, it has my seal of approval. I do want to ask. So like the way that that trailer is presented, is that what the game is supposed to look like? Right? No. Because that animation was seamless. You know, like there yeah. were times that I thought those were real people. It was very good looking you know yeah no that's that's not the the way the game is gonna look but um i mean the game is gonna have great graphics and stuff it's just that's not how it's formatted you're the camera is like literally over the head of your player uh okay you can see like the whole room and kind of environment and then move around killing you know demons and skeletons and whatever the fuck else but um the graphics for these things are getting better and better and better and they're incredibly immersive uh interesting worlds to explore in some of these games you know so Anyway, that's uh, that's the Diablo 4 short, so check it out. Yeah, do. The main trailer for The Witcher uh, was released, and I don't know that it's... A, it's it seems like it's kind of departing a little bit from the horror that was in the first one. I think people, you know... I think people were wanting to see more story, and this definitely has a lot more of it. And it has some little Easter eggs and call-outs you know, from the, from the game. And of course, obviously from the original novels in which it comes, but, um, people that have actually seen it like early screenings have said that it is much more of like a horror show, like monster of the week almost. And from what we saw from the first trailer, it looks pretty impressive. So some of those, those monsters are incredibly horrific and original. So I'm really hoping a lot of that gets its way to the screen. Yeah. Cause in this trailer, there really was only like just one, monster that popped up you know i mean a lot of it had to do with like i mean i don't know if they're i know nothing about this series of books or anything like that um but it, this this trailer seemed to have to do a lot with like human interaction and not yeah there's a lot of politics and there's a lot of adventuring you know? and stuff like that's like game of thrones with lord of the rings kind of tossed in but a lot of the thing that sells this is the the originality of like um you know, the bestiary of this, these novels and this games. So I think they're actually doing this on purpose. I think they're just playing it really close to the chest because when the reveal comes for some of these things, it's going to blow people away. Well, and it looks really good. Like, I mean, I, I was excited when I watched this trailer. I was like, this is something that I would watch. And I mean, I, I liked both trailers. And the, the last one that we had discussed on another Shooting the Flames episode was a much shorter, like teaser type trailer. But it was good and had a lot of good effects looking things in it. And this seems like it has some of the the human drama that I've been missing since Game of Thrones ended. And so, I mean, this is a good place to to fill a void. Not to mention, um, <laughs> yeah. what's that guy's name? Henry Cavill? Sitting in that like hot tub thing or whatever. Yeah, that's the call out from the game. It's a very, very famous scene from the novels and the games. I was just like... Dude, he looks good. He got like one knee popped out too. I'm like, shit. Yep. That was fan service right there because it's a fa- it literally is a famous like cutscene um, from the games. But um, no, I'm I I can't I don't want to belabor the point. But the the monsters in this are going to be like you know Cthulian slash the thing levels of interesting. So well, I'm super excited for it. Plus, yeah. in the background where he was talking to that lady with the the mask over her face, there's like some fucking orgy going on or something. And I was just like, Oh, I'm there. Sign me up. I'll watch this. I mean, it looks, (laughs) it looks good. Yeah. So we were given a surprise trailer this month in the form of Lee one the invisible man, which he shot in record time. He just started shooting it. It seems like they've already finished. They've already stopped editing and it's ready to come out. And I hope that I'm not the only one who thinks so, but this trailer is fucking amazing. It is. I was so blown away by this trailer. I was like, oh, they're doing the Invisible Man again. 
Paul Verhoeven couldn't even do it right. Kevin fucking Bacon mm. and Elizabeth Shue. And I love Elizabeth Shue. And normally I like Paul Verhoeven very much. But uh, no, this is done by Lee Wanell. And I loved his last movie that he did. Oh, he Upgrade directed. is so first good. Upgrade was amazing. So yeah, if you guys haven't seen Upgrade, my God, go see it. It's right out there on Netflix, right? Oh, is it on? I don't know if it is on Netflix. Or, or is it? It's somewhere streaming. So stream it. Do but, it. <laughs> uh, the Invisible Man. Like, uh, who's the actress in that? What's her name? Elizabeth Moss. I'm Elizabeth Moss. She looks so <laughs> crazy in this movie, and there's a reason for it. And she is she's completely um Well whenever the news first broke that Lee Wanell was gonna be directing The Invisible Man and Blumhouse is sort of taking over uh the Universal Monsters franchise. Oh really? They're gonna start Universal Monsters? Well, because Universal was doing it themselves. It was the uh, Universal Dark something or other. I don't know what they called it, but they keep making these movies that are flopping, the most recent one being that mummy with Tom Cruise. They're trying yeah, to they reboot their own movies and Dracula doing untold. Yeah, doing a really terrible job at it. And so, I mean, they they got the rights to do this universal movie and it's supposed to fit within the same sort of universe or whatever and I mean, it looks like they're finally doing it right, you know, but some of these universal movies when they were trying to reboot them, they were turning them into action movies and not horror movies. Yeah. Giant, yeah, giant action blockbusters and it's like it's okay to keep things kind of tight, you know, and small, you know, and that has a little bit more of an effect. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Maybe it's just a really goddamn good trailer, but I'm definitely going to be sitting down for this one. I mean, the trailer had everything that I would want in a horror movie, really. I mean, so like it's a fresh update on something that we've, you know, seen in the past, right? So if they're going to do a remake or a reboot, take it in a good fresh direction, I love Elizabeth Moss. I want to see her in more movies, especially horror movies. I thought that she did a really good job in Us, you know? Yep. And so I'm excited to see her. Plus, I mean, there were some pretty gory moments in this movie. So I mean, they're not spearing it with the violence in a classically 1L fashion, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, like guns shooting into kneecaps and things like that. And I'm like, I'm all about this movie. It almost reminded me of Terminator a little bit, you know? You mean like the original Terminator? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, it, I mean, it, it looks like a, a really good movie and I hope that it turns out to be so. I think this comes out in February. I'm so excited. But speaking of fresh takes, what's our next trailer? So the last trailer we're going to talk about this month is Fantasy Island, also from Blumhouse, who seems to be knocking things out of the park. This movie also comes out in February and it is sort of a fresh take or reboot idea on the TV series fantasy island from the 70s but uh this is so much so different than the tv show so much darker yeah so apparently you can you go to this resort and you go to a special island where they will like help you live out one of your fantasies may it be getting some comeuppance to a school bully or things like that and you get to live it out either to your detriment or to the detriment of others and it just seems like a very dark kind of movie i mean i had no idea they were even making this yeah the, the trailer first starts and you're like oh this is like fantasy island you know they're just gonna do it De plane. and it's yeah. gonna be some weird party you know <laughs> it's gonna be some sort of uh you know party movie or something you know like with a rock mm-hmm. <laughs> who knows but no it gets dark pretty quick and uh it turns into horror so I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm. I will watch it. I mean, like, I. It's pretty rare that I watch a Blumhouse movie that I don't care for. I mean, right now they have a whole series of movies they put out once a month on Hulu, um, tied to usually whatever holiday is in that particular month, and it's go, it's starting its second year, and they're all fairly good. So we have Invisible Man from Blumhouse in February and Fantasy Island coming out on Valentine's Day. So I oh my sh- god, all three of those. <laughs> so i mean we have to do a triple hot take (laughs) so um yeah guys if you've seen these trailers or if you haven't head over to the show notes where we have links to all of them let us know what you think and if you're looking forward to them if you've seen some trailers that you like recently shoot shoot them our way and we will give them a watch and discuss recommendations so the first thing that i want to talk about 
is American Horror Story 1984, which I saw all of. Uh, you have not gotten the chance to finish it yet. I think you watched the first, what, two or three episodes? No, I watched the first one and a half episodes. I'm a little okay. behind. Well, it's uh, it's a shit show, like most of the <laughs> seasons are, in different ways. Uh, this gets all over the place. Pretty tight and cohesive, the first like three or four episodes, and then just goes off the rails as usual, you know, and gets all over the place, and then kind of brings it home a little bit. And it does bring it home. Like, uh, this is the first season of... American Horror Story where I actually got teary-eyed at the end. Like the the song they choose to play and the last scene they choose to do. It was really touching. And like I I am not a crier. I am not someone that sheds a tear in a movie, unlike my wonderful co-host. But um I have to I do I did I did enjoy American Horror Story 1984. Not enough to hope that the series goes on forever, <laughs> that's for sure. Um it's showing its age in the in its format, but you know whatever you know it was it was a fun ride and i love the intro the intro is so good <laughs> i want that like as a ringtone or something their uh, 80s version of american horror story opening it was so good i loved the intro with all the the workout tapes and like everything they were doing like i always would let that play through because i enjoyed the shit out of it and every other season i would i would you know fast forward through it or skip it you know after the first time but not this one i always like their intros i think they're good i mean and i I really appreciate the the theme music. I mean, I, I've I've liked it every season, and this was no different. The first episode, that, I mean, that the I the only one that I watched really was good, and I was pretty excited to watch the rest of it. The thing is, I forgot to set my DVR, and so now I have to go back and either find it on demand or just go purchase it from Amazon or something like that. Yeah, but I am gonna watch it, and I because I I really enjoy the actors that are still on there right i love leslie grossman right who i don't she plays like the the owner of the camp who was yeah yeah she's so good she was so good in so many past seasons of- no she gets to do a hell of a lot this season and her character gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more important as it goes on so i definitely recommend it especially if you um especially if you enjoy her character, <laughs> well, I, or I mean her as an actress. I, I do especially enjoy her as an actress. She was my favorite person on Popular. I just, I like her quite a bit. So I'm super excited to catch up with it. I watched a movie toward the end of my 31 and 31 that we had talked about previously on a Shooting the Flames episode. And that's a movie called Little Monsters. So uh, Little Monsters, if you can't remember us talking about it, it's, it's an Australian movie that stars Lupita Nyong'o as a like a preschool or kindergarten teacher who is taking her students on a field trip and a zombie apocalypse sort of happens around them and she has to like save all these children. And the trailer looked amazingly funny. Like I laughed at it and it, it made its way very high onto my watch list. And so whenever they added it to Hulu during the Halloween season, and I was like, yes, you know, finally I'm going to watch this movie because it made the festival rounds and I was supremely disappointed in it. Like everyone kept talking about how good it was and her performance was great, but the movie wasn't as funny as the trailer led on to be. It wasn't a good zombie movie, in my opinion. I just really didn't care for it at all. I think I gave this like two and a half stars on Letterboxd. Like I just really, well, well. really can't recommend it. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'll live. Well, I went back to an old favorite of mine from my childhood, which was a revitalized or rebooted Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I thought it was a reboot, but it actually alludes that this current Midnight Club telling uh, ghost stories, scary stories at midnight in the middle of the woods, you know, actually originally was from the group in the 90s. And they talk about their older brothers or their parents that were in it or whatever. And it's like kind of the same setup and everything. And it's a really good cast. And it was a, it was a good story. It didn't scare me at all, but it might have been scary for, for kids, I guess. But uh, my sister flew in to visit me for the first time since I've been in Boston. And we watched it. And uh, we both enjoyed it a lot. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope that they pick it up and make an actual series out of it. Cause this was a mini series that was about three episodes long. And uh, yeah, I would, I would recommend it for any of you out there that remember, uh, are you afraid of the dark? And um, 
it's on Nickelodeon, uh, but of course I don't have TV, so I rented it or bought it on Amazon to watch. And I'd say it was worth it. So I'm hoping they do more. It just reminded me of my childhood, and it was a nice little treat. I haven't seen a single episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm. So should I? I can't believe you missed that. You would have loved it uh, in the 90s. I mean, like, when in the 90s was it on? Early to late, I would say, is when I was watching it. You know, like 92 to 97, somewhere in there. I don't know how in the world I've missed. I mean, I don't know how in the world I could have seen like one single episode. Well, you were watching actual horror movies back then, you know? Yeah. But, you know, for me, it was like whatever night it was, it was like Ren and Stimpy and Clarissa explains it all. And then it was Are You Afraid of the Dark? And, you know, back then, maybe about one out of every three scared me, but it was always an interesting story and I loved it. And it got me more and more into horror than I already was. So, you know. Well, I mean, like. As far as the horror community goes, especially on Twitter, I think there's a huge affinity for this show. So maybe I should go back and watch some, right? Or maybe at least watch this, right? And I love they they kept the same opening theme, iconic, but they updated it, you know, so it's like amazing cinematography and there's some references in the show with the other intro with the boat in the water and everything. But they kind of updated it with violins and stuff. So it was it was really neat to see it. I, I liked it. It was an update. So I watched a movie this month called harpoon and um i had seen the trailer early in the summer and was intrigued by it and then completely forgot it even existed until i was scrolling through like recently released movies to rent or buy on amazon and i was like oh yeah i wanted to see this so i rented it and it's phenomenally good in my opinion like it's just it's bizarre and funny and violent and just just really really good like if you if you're looking for something that's unexpected go give this one a shot there's a narrator for god's sakes a narrator who has nothing to do with the story who's just like explaining his own thoughts as things progress and it's just random and funny and i just loved it so so much in fact i gave this four out of five stars on letterboxd when i watched it I need to see it. And I know that you like like the small cast and the the limited space. And that's something that you really get drawn to and drawn I do. into. Yeah. But I think that's almost like a universal phenomenon. Like I really liked Frozen when it came out. Yeah. Not the Disney movie, but the one where we're all stuck <laughs> on a ski lift. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I really want to see it. Harpoon was good. It was really good. I would totally watch it again and again, probably. And, um, You know, I mean, I watched other things this month, but I have to remind our listeners that we have a close of the year, you know, uh, review and looking forward to the next year coming up soon. So we can't give everything away in our Flamers favorites, but I think we have a couple more to talk about each. Okay. The next thing I watched was, of course, Creepshow from Shudder, and I actually didn't watch it. Well, then why are you talking about it? I'm kidding. I watched the first two episodes, but I just, I still wanted to talk about it because uh, I was not, I love the actors that were in the first episode. I think like Giancarlo Esposito or however you say that. And then, uh, you know, the chick from the original creep show. Adrian Barbeau. Adrian Barbeau, like John Carpenter's ex-wife or whatever. Yeah, Tobin Bell. And yeah, Tobin Bell saw, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're all in that. But unfortunately, it wasn't that great of an episode. (laughs) To me, it was a little over the top. And it's kind of supposed to be, right? These are supposed to be off of like horror serials, right? Uh, Graphic novels. And so it's supposed to be a little comic booky, right? And some of them are, and some of them are are less so. There's one, uh, I think, called The Dollhouse, or is about a dollhouse. And it was really, really, really good. And it was it's my favorite so far. And, um, you know, it ends really, really well with, like, you know, I love it when someone gets genre savvy. And this is about a little girl, and she gets genre savvy. And I really enjoyed watching that. So I'm really, um, I'm really looking forward to finishing the series. Yeah, I've watched the first three episodes of Creepshow, and I have to I have to agree with you that that very first story, uh, Grey Matters, based on a Stephen King short story, which is really good, but um, it's it's different. I don't know. It just it didn't translate well to the screen, right? And I I wanted it to. It still was enjoyable. I mean, yeah. Just when you when you have things like the Dollhouse to compare it to, you know, then it's it's you know worse. But yeah. the dollhouse episode was creepy. I was scared watching that episode. Have you seen the one with the werewolves yet? 
Yes, I did. Um, the military World War Two one. Yeah, the werewolves. Yeah, I like that okay. a lot too. Yeah, it was good. And I like. Um, did you see the one the the guy in the suitcase? Was it the same episode as the werewolves? No, that's the next one, and I, I wanted to see it. It's weird. You know what I mean? But I'm interested to hear what you think about it. Okay. Maybe I skipped around a little bit because the werewolves one, maybe that was, maybe that was the same episode as the dollhouse. Cause there's like two, there's like two stories per episode. No, it, it is gray matter. And then the dollhouse and then it's the werewolves, but I can't remember what came after the werewolves. Right. So, I mean, I think that, I mean like these, the, the production value of these shorts is really, is really good. It looks great for it, for a TV yeah. series. Quote unquote. It actually reminds me of those shorts, like the altar and whatever else shorts are, that are on YouTube. There's like a sci-fi and there's a horror one and they're all super, super high quality. And I need to go back and watch them. They come out with these shorts like once a week on both channels or at least more than that sometimes. And I'm like, how are they pumping these things out? It must be people making shorts and submitting them, but they're all super, super good. Anyway, I digress. Continue. So um, we love the movie Alien. It's, it's no secret. We've mentioned that particular film and its franchise many times in this podcast yes. since we started it. And so when they announced that they were releasing a documentary about sort of like the the origins of Alien, which it's called Memory Origins of Alien, we were both pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. And again, this is just a movie that I sort of forgot about after I watched the trailer until I was scrolling through Amazon and there it is. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to sit and watch this right now. So oh, I need to see it so bad. It's good. It's really good. Oh and my god. I mean, I I think that if you're not a super fan of Alien, you might not think it's as good as I do and I know that Chris probably will, but there was so much insight into the inception of this movie from like, you know, a germ of an idea in someone's head to the end product. Yeah. We know everything about like the production design and the casting and the direction and everything like that. And, you know, I'm, and I, I, and I always will want to know more. Right. But what I really am interested in is that more academic kind of look at it and why it was so poignant and why it works as well as it does. And there's so many specific kinds of feelings and horror associated with Alien, especially that first movie, that it's like, man, this someone really thought about this and was very specific, you know, um, you know, or they or they came up with it. You you're the one that saw it, so I'm I'm, you know, shooting at the sky, but uh, it seems like that's what I want to know about. I want to know about where these ideas came from and what their purpose was, you know, rather than just analyzation after the fact. I don't know. I think it's just super interesting. And well, whenever you do watch it, then you're going to get quite the payoff because that's Yay! exactly what it is. I mean, they, they talk about, you know, Dan O'Bannon's ideas when he was writing the screenplay or before they talk about, you know, earlier screenplays or movies that he was like working on and how there were just so much of Alien in those that he was destined to sort of make this movie. And they have a little history of like Giger and like why he does what he does and how they fought hard to sort of get his ideas and artwork to be part of the movie. Yeah. And then, you know, like Ridley Scott comes in and it's just this, this great amalgamation of three people making a movie that you and I have grown to love over the years. And mm-hmm. I know that when you watch this documentary, you are just going to love it. At least I hope so. I really yeah, found it interesting. And I I mean, I would totally watch this again, too. I think it's great. So if you are a fan of Alien or just a fan of filmmaking or like science fiction horror, you know, like you need to go check this documentary out. You will not be dissatisfied. It's great. I I, I rented this. I streamed it and I bought the Blu-ray. So I'm. this is something that I needed to own. So yeah. go watch it. So the the last thing that I watched other than, you know, The Lighthouse and Dr. Sleep, which we have put on Patreon and our regular feed, respectively. So check those out, uh, was Terminator Dark Fate. So I watched that in anticipation of, of course, James Cameron's return, uh, at least in the form of like an executive producer. So presumably he, you know, looked at the story and he was yelling at them on the phone several times during production. And that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> but I could see that there was a really good story there and there were some really good set pieces and there was some really good feeling in it. But, you know, they kind of they kind of snipe the, the you know, where Terminator 2 kind of left off, which is where it's supposed to. And it's like, if you want to 
you know, get rid of the last couple of sequels, you know, at least don't like take a shit on like the, <laughs> the last good one. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of like going like two steps back, you know, two steps forward, two steps back with that whole thing. And you'd have to see it to kind of understand what I'm talking about, but you know, it's worth, I'll watch it again, if nothing else, just to see, you know, Sarah Connor on the screen again. And that was fun, but it's just, it, it's, it almost seemed like fan fiction almost to tell you the truth. It was better than some of the other sequels. That's for sure. Uh, I would say it's, you know, the third or fourth best Terminator movie, which you know, isn't saying much because the first two are classics. Um, and I think there's been like five or six now or something, but yeah, this is, uh, it did feel like a little bit of fan fiction. It's, um, it was a little disappointing, but you know, it's, it's still kind of good to see the action. I was kind of disappointed in some of the action. It was uh, too close. You, you couldn't really understand what was going on screen. Of course I watched it on IMAX. So maybe I was a little too close, but uh, this director is usually better than that. He did Deadpool and you could see everything that was going on purposefully. But um, this was a little too frenetic in some scenes where you just don't know what's happening. And you're just like kind of start checking out almost like the first, you know, transformers or something. But anyway, it had such a promising trailer. I mean, yeah, like, it really, really did. Like the the song they chose and everything. Like, oh yeah, that Bjork the reveal cover? of of Sarah Connor. I loved that. You know, the trailer was great, and those parts and feelings and stuff exist in the movie. Unfortunately, they're surrounded by kind of like beige parts too. Wow. You know, and parts that are a little too on the nose, parts that get a little too comedic. You know, it it kind of turns you know Sarah Connor into you know, a less dimensional character to me, it, I could go on, but I don't know if anyone else has seen it. Um, let me know what you thought and how it compares to Terminator and Terminator two. Did it exceed your expectations or did it fail miserably or somewhere in between? Let us know. Well, I have only seen Terminator and Terminator two. So maybe this is the one sequel I should catch up on then because it's uh, a continuation from that. Correct. Yeah. So yes, it is. Since I missed the rest of them, this would be the one to to give it a watch. Now, I have heard that the TV show, even though I didn't see it, um, with um, Mama Lannister herself from Game of Thrones, is really, really, really good and dark and was really promising. But they canceled it after two or three seasons. So I'll have to go back and watch that, too. But, you know, I heard it was good. So whatever. I'm, I'm looking forward to... I don't know. Maybe at this point, just start the whole fucking thing over. Or just forget it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we'll we'll have term. We'll always have Terminator and Terminator Two, and that's all we need, really. Mm-hmm. If they do that to Ripley, I'm gonna fucking kill someone. Oh my god. What's her name? Sarah Connor. Linda Hamilton. Yeah. Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor. Yeah. yeah and the TV show was called the Sarah Connor Chronicles. That's what I thought. I was trying to think of the name of the show. Yeah. So the last thing that I watched is something that you talked about in the summer on one of the shooting the flames episode. And that's season two of Mindhunter. I'm just not catching up to you. Yes, that's fine. You know, these things are meant to binge and watch at your leisure. I really enjoyed season one quite a bit, but I think that I was suffering from some true crime fatigue. Right. And, you know, just as I'm starting to get over my superhero fatigue just a little bit, I think I'm starting to get over my true crime fatigue as well. It just seemed like every time I turned around, there was a new true crime show and like, you know, podcast world is exploding with true crime all the time. And I, this is something that I really enjoyed quite a bit throughout my entire life. And it, I was just like surrounded by it and I needed to take a break. Yeah. You tell the internet you like something. That's all you're going to get. So no you got burned out. So, um, I was just looking for something to watch and I landed on it and started it. And I was so pleasantly surprised. Uh, season two of Mindhunter is, is excellent television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so good and far superior than the first season really? in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. I think that they made so many changes to this season to make it a little bit more compelling. Um, like the first season really didn't have a mystery or anything going on. You know, it was just like them starting up the the unit i really like like that kind of stuff though i love like the putting things together and organizing and seeing you know in the discovery phase i love that and this was really like their you know actually hitting the ground and doing good work phase you know or trying to well and i i mean i know that it's it's trite and i know that you know every screenplay 
you know, has these sort of like beats or whatever they need to. But I really appreciated the fact that they they gave them a mystery to sort of solve, something to work with their skills on. I think that the characters themselves had different stakes, right? In their personal lives. Well, like, yeah, that's one thing I, I have a complaint about. It's like every, if you know, if you're a main character, you're going to have to have some sort of personal issue in your life like a major fucking personal issue going on. And it's just like clockwork. And that's one thing I didn't enjoy as much about this season. But at the same time, I mean, we're talking about, you know, 98 and 99% on Rotten Tomatoes series here. So I mean, we're, we're nitpicking. I mean, I thought, I thought it was good. And I mean, I appreciate those sort of things. And I think this is why I liked the walking dead a lot more than you did too. Is that like, I, these, these sort of classic ideas of, a story or whatever, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay with, and I sort of get lost in those sort of things. And it was great. Um, I also like the fact that they were like focusing on other characters a lot more than just Ford, you know, in this one, I thought that Anna Torv did a fantastic job for, she's not even in like a whole lot of the series, but the scenes that she's in, she's good. She's like a little Kate Blanchett. And I, she really is. She's like a poor man's Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I just thought she was great. I mean, like every time she was on screen, I was just captivated. And I mean, and it's, it's neat to go back and watch the sort of fictionalized account of these true crimes that I've read so much about my entire life. Yeah, you know, and, you know to go back to the personal problem thing, like everyone has personal problems. Every character needs their own depth of story and something that's going on in their lives that's separate from their work and everything. It makes them a much more multidimensional character. But maybe, just maybe... Given the subject matter and the deal, the you know the work that they're doing, don't make your kid like one of the kids of the the fucking people a serial killer. You know, <laughs> yeah, okay. so fucking on the nose. It's like come I will on. say that that's the one I was gonna add that to my my conversation just now. Is that's the one thing I would have taken away. It was like so he's studying serial killers, and all of a sudden his son is starting to like develop these things, and I was like, and it's because okay. of that that their marriage is breaking up. It's like, hey, just take all the uh, shit away. So I, don't, I can stop rolling my eyes and just have their marriage be a problem, you know, like, right. just do that. Like, which is why I mean, like three year old son or six year old son or whatever the fuck he is, a serial killer. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm much more interested in like the lesbian relationship yeah. that's like blossoming or whatever. I want to see more of that, you know? But um, Not I with will the kid, say, with the Kate Blanchett character, <clears throat> right? Um, <laughs> I will say though, if you're around those sort of things all day long, and that's what you talk about all day long, is serial killers, you're going to start to notice it in everybody, even your own son. So maybe it's just some way of like directorial, even when projection. they kill a, a local child and crucify them in a in a basement. He didn't kill that child. He just gave him the idea to crucify them. Okay. <laughs> I actually have quite a bit to say about this season of, of TV, right? And I think there's this work everywhere. I don't know how else someone else would have made that connection. There are so many horror call outs in this season, too. I mean, there are flashes of Jonathan Demme's work on Silence of the yes, Lambs in definitely. this. Well, all over the place. From the beginning, yeah. There's, there's, there's so much of like... Um, well, it's it's a De David Palma's Fincher work in this. Look yeah, and I mean, feel, and, man. and David Fincher is really just like calling out to things that he's already done, things that he appreciates, and a lot from the past. There's there's a lot of good '70s and '80s horror that's being pushed into this show, and I think it's just fantastic. I but cannot... done in a very '90s way, you know, copycat Silence of the Lambs is yes. written all over this seven. Yeah, a little bit. Great, exactly. Yes, I think that this is superb. This is a really really good show. I'm sorry yeah. I didn't binge it when it first came out. In fact, I tried to finish it last night. I still have one more episode to go, but I'm an old man and I fell asleep before I could watch that last episode. So right when we're done here, I'm going to finish it. Also, that actress who plays the um, the leader of that group in Atlanta, right, with the big glasses. I, I can't remember her character's name. Excellent. Like, I am expecting some nominations for this show come, like, Golden Globe time or Emmy time. It deserves every single one that it gets. Yeah. Well, everybody, I think that wraps up our Shooting the Flames conversation for December. Uh, if you've seen any of these trailers or watched any of the movies or TV shows that we've talked about today, please reach out to us on social media and let us know what you thought of them. 
Or if you have any good items of horror news, let us know so we can read up on it and discuss it in the future. You can do that on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at the Film Flamers. Or you can email us at tiredqueensfilmflamers.com or call us, please, at 972-666-7733. There are two glaring omissions from this episode of Shooting the Flames, and that is any new reviews and new patrons. So that means we didn't get any new ones this month. And we really like those. So head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, leave us a five-star review and a, a little review, and we'll read it on the next Shooting the Flames episode. Or head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers and check out all of our bonus content for as little as $2 a month. And we'll give you a shout-out right here on the next episode as well. We have more bonus content coming out for you in December, as well as stuff on our regular feed. We're gonna be covering one of my favorite slashers and favorite holiday movies, Black Christmas. We're also going to be doing a flashback of The Lion in Winter. So uh, if you haven't seen it, watch it because nothing's scarier than Catherine Hepburn threatening to put her crown jewels on her nipples. I have never seen this movie. I've only read the play and Chris has been trying to get me to watch it for the entirety of our friendship. Yep. It's some of the best dialogue I have ever seen written or acted in a film ever. So check it out. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, also, we're doing a top 10, which so far is turning out to be the hardest top 10 that I've ever had to craft. And that is our top 10 favorite slasher movies. Yep. Just to honor the very first slasher, arguably, Black Christmas. And we'll have another hot take for you this month. We're going to be doing Knives Out. So guys, stay tuned to your feed. We also might have a very special Christmas gift for you to open on Christmas Day. So keep your eyes peeled for all this stuff and that. Well, enjoy your holiday season. And until our next episode, sweet dreams. I'd hang you from the nipples, but you'd scare the children. (laughs) Does it make a special device for doing that? I'd hang you from the nipples, but you'd scare the children. (laughs) 